0: Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource, that it may be a blessing. Ruth chapter 4, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 224. We are finishing our short series uh, through the book of Ruth this morning. I certainly hope that you have enjoyed it. And more importantly, I hope it has been helpful to you. As we've seen over the last few weeks, that when things go wrong in our lives, when we encounter trials and various forms of suffering, that there is always more to the story than what we realize in the moment. We've seen that God never abandons his people. And we see that God provides redemption for his people. And so this morning, as we read the end of the story of Ruth, we're going to see that God uses our suffering to accomplish his ultimate plans and his purposes. And so we're in Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And so last week we saw that Naomi came up with a plan for Ruth to approach Boaz and to ask him to redeem her. And we read about how Ruth executed this plan exactly as she was supposed to, and that Boaz agreed to be her redeemer, as long as... Another male relative who was closer in line to them uh, chose not to redeem her himself. And so there's this other guy who's closer in line on the family tree, and he has the first responsibility. But Boaz promised that if this other redeemer would not redeem her, that he would. And so we left Ruth and Naomi at their home, waiting to find out what would happen. But, But confident that they would know something by the end of the day, because again, Boaz is a man who gets things done. And so now as we pick up here in chapter 4, we see that that morning, Boaz leaves the threshing floor and goes straight into the city. And when he gets there, he goes inside the city gate and he sits down. Now the gate, which, which obviously functioned as the entrance and the exit of the city, also served a number of civic purposes in the city. It was the area where the marketplace would be for people to buy and sell their goods, And it was also the area where legal matters was decided that the city gate was the courthouse so to speak and since there's an issue of redemption at hand this is the place to be in the second half of verse one behold it just so happens that this other redeemer happens to walk by at the exact same time and so boaz doesn't waste any time he calls the man over tells him to sit down and then he goes and summons ten of the elders of the city and has them sit down as witnesses of this uh, discussion. And then in verse 3, he explains the situation and and why he has called them all together. And he tells them that Naomi is selling the, the piece of land that had belonged to Elimelech in order to have money to live off of, but in order to keep the land in the family as it's supposed to be, it needs to be redeemed by a family member who will buy it. Now this other guy, again, is first in line in terms of relation to Elimelech, And so he is first in line of responsibility to redeem it. And so Boaz asks him if he is willing to redeem it, and he says yes. Now I know what you're thinking. This can't be right, right? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Ruth is supposed to end up with Boaz, right? But here this other guy is saying that he's going to redeem it. This this isn't right at all. Somebody needs to intervene and change the script, because this isn't how the story is supposed to work. Well you'll be relieved to know that this other Redeemer is no Prince Charming. And that's going to become clear as we pick up again, beginning in verse 5. It says, Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. and all that belong to Kilion and to Malon. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel, May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So the other redeemer agrees to buy Naomi's land. But just to make sure that he's serious, Boaz clarifies and he emphasizes that redeeming the property also involves taking Ruth as his wife in order to have a child who would count as Elimelech's heir. And when the other redeemer hears this, suddenly he decides that he can't do it after all, and he gives a lame excuse about endangering his own inheritance. See, this is the part of the story where we see that this other redeemer is actually just a big bum. You see, just as a a quick review, or to help those of you who haven't been with us for the the whole series, when Israelites came into the Promised Land, the Lord allotted certain parts of the land to the various tribes. And then each of those tribes allotted part of their property to each of the families or the clans from within that tribe. And each family within that tribe owned their piece of land by divine decree. And So this is their property. Even if the family had to sell the property at some point, and, and there was no family member who could redeem it for them, eventually the land was still given back to them every 50 years at what was called the the year of Jubilee. So every 50 years in Israel, all debts were forgiven, all slaves were set free, and all property was returned to its rightful owner. Okay, so this is God-ordained property ownership. Elimelech's land belongs to Elimelech's family. Now the problem comes in, as we've already seen, in that Elimelech has died. And so then the property would pass along to his sons, but his sons have also died, and they've died without having any children of their own. And so ownership of the land would then transfer to the next closest male relative, who is this other guy. You see, Naomi is still alive at this point, which means that she still needs to be supported. And so at first, the other redeemer sees this as a simple investment opportunity, He'll pay some money up front for this land and he'll allow Naomi to live there and he'll support her for a few more years and then when she dies, the land will come into his possession and that will become part of his property for him and his descendants after him. So in his mind, Naomi is provided for and he ends up with the land. It's a win-win. But for some reason, this guy is not factoring Ruth into his equation. So, As we've seen, the other end of the property laws is that if someone died without having a child of their own, then the next closest male relative was to take his wife and to have a child who would function as the heir of the deceased. So that the property would remain within the God-appointed family. And now when Boaz emphasizes the responsibility of taking Ruth along with the land, all of a sudden this other redeemer gets cold feet, and he claims he can't do it after all. Now, the only thing that has changed is what's in it for him, all right, Now he sees that he's going to have to pay for this land. He's going to have to support Naomi and Ruth for several years. And then the heir will get the land instead of him. And under these conditions, the other redeemer proves to be no redeemer at all. He's just a, a selfish land grabber looking to take advantage of a desperate situation. So culturally, this would have been shameful for him, especially when he made it so obvious by agreeing to do it at first, and then backtracking, and hopefully he got booed by the crowd. And at the same time, we don't want to be too indignant because we really didn't want Ruth to be with this guy in the first place, right? Now we just know why we didn't want him to be with her. But the first guy passes his right over to Boaz, and everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Now get this, in verse 7, the author gives us an interesting detail about the legal proceedings. You know, across the span of human history, people have, uh, they have made agreements and, and uh, finalized things in a number of different ways. Some people have shaken hands. Uh, people today sign paperwork. But in ancient Israel, people would take off their sandal and pass it to the other party. And when that happened, it was a done deal. Right? And what's really interesting to me about it is that there are a lot of things in the Bible that are so old or they are so culturally different from us that that we have to have them explained in order for them to make sense. But this is so old and it is so different that the biblical author had to explain it to the original audience that he was writing to, and that's something that you don't see very often. This is really old. But at any rate, the relative formally yields his redemption rights to Boaz. He takes off his sandal and he gives it to him. And then Boaz announces with the elders as witnesses that he is legally redeeming the property that belongs to Elimelech, and he is also redeeming Ruth as his wife. And in verses 11 and 12, the elders of the town confirm the transaction, and they pronounce a blessing on Boaz and Ruth in response. They pray that they will have success as a couple. And be blessed with children that will build up the house of Israel. And that they will be famous among the people of Bethlehem. It's really a, a very generous blessing. But little did these people know just how much Ruth and Boaz were going to build up the house of Israel. And on what, great, what large of a scale they would become famous in Bethlehem. And this blessing would be fulfilled. And we'll see more about that as we read the end of the story beginning in verse 13. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law, who loves you, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And so true to his word, Boaz takes Ruth as his wife. And at the end of verse 13, we see that the Lord gave her conception. And so we remember that while she was married to Malon for 10 years in Moab, Ruth had never had any children. But now the Lord enables Ruth and Boaz to conceive and together they have a son named Obed. And in light of this the women of the town praise the Lord for not leaving without for not leaving Naomi without a redeemer. The Obed is this redeemer which refers to the fact that her redemption was made complete with his birth. And we see that Obed means the world to Naomi. that the women of the town foresee that he's going to be a restorer of life to her, that he will nourish her in her old age. They praise God for for blessing Naomi with a faithful daughter-in-law in in Ruth, who they say is better than seven sons, which would be the highest compliment you could possibly give to her. In verse 16, we see that Naomi takes Obed, lays him on her lap, and she becomes his nurse or his his nanny. So she has a very active role in the life of her grandson, even to the point where the women of the town say that the child has been born to Naomi. And so things have come all the way around for Naomi. She was full, and then she was emptied, and now she is overflowing with blessing once again. Now you'll notice that in the final section of the book in verses 18 through 22, the author draws out a genealogy that tells me or tells us more about what God does Through Obed. Now, this is important because it demonstrates what God does through Ruth and Boaz that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So the genealogy starts with Perez, who was the preeminent son of Judah, and the, the, the clan of of Perez was the dominant clan in the tribe of Judah, and it traces the lineage down from him through Boaz and Obed, and then finally down to David, as in the David who defeats Goliath and goes on to be the greatest king. In the history of Israel. And so by naming Perez and then tracing the line down to David, the author shows us that God brought the loyal, the royal lineage of Israel directly through Ruth and Boaz. Now I mentioned back in week one that what happens in the book of Ruth is crucially important for the development of the rest of the Old Testament and even for the New Testament as well. All right, Ruth and Boaz lead to David. And so within, I don't know, 75 years or so after they are married, everything else that happens in the Old Testament is is directly related to and influenced by what happens in this story. Everything. But even more than that, uh, what God ultimately accomplishes through Ruth and Boaz goes way beyond what even the author of the story could have understood. Because we know from the New Testament that Jesus himself is a descendant of Ruth and Boaz. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, we see this, this very genealogy again, as Matthew demonstrates that Jesus is the promised son of David, who will rule over God's people forever. Right, and there we see that Jesus also descends from Ruth and Boaz, who would have never gotten married, apart from all of the difficulty and suffering, back in chapter 1. And so as we step back and look at the whole... We see that what started off as a complete tragedy ends up being the very means by which God provides salvation to the whole world. Not only does Ruth show us how Israel got from the time of the judges, when there was no central leader and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, to the time of David who led Israel into their golden age, it also hints at the fact that this is the very means by which God provides salvation for the world, and that is the book of Ruth. So Boaz and Ruth live happily ever after. And this last chapter ties the story up really well, not just because it's a happy ending, but because it also reminds us of all the themes that we've seen throughout the book. And so first of all, we see again that when we are frustrated by the everyday annoyances of life, or or when we are completely blown away by by some uh, major catastrophe and our, our world is rocked, we have to remember that there is more to the story than what we can realize in the moment. All right, when, when Naomi first lost her husband and her children, she had absolutely no idea of what God was doing in her situation. I'm reminded of, of what Pastor John Piper has often said, which is that at any given moment, God is doing 10,000 different things in your life. And you might be aware of three of them, right? there There is so much more to the story than what we can realize at any given moment. There is so much that God is doing in and around our situations. There is simply no way for us to wrap our finite minds around it. And so when we come into times of suffering and difficulty, we have to hold on because we know that this is not the end of the story. Secondly, we're reminded here in chapter 4 that God never abandons His people. When Naomi first returned to Bethlehem, she was convinced that God was against her. She she felt abandoned by God. Her faith was shaken, and she was bitter in her heart against Him. But through the, the faithfulness of Ruth, the kindness of Boaz, the story ends with everyone in Bethlehem commenting on how blessed by the Lord Naomi is. And she comes to see that the Lord has been with her all the way because he never forsakes his people. Then last week we saw that God provides redemption for his people. And we saw how, how Boaz redeeming Ruth out of a situation that was beyond her ability to do anything about was, was a mirror. It was a, a shadow of the redemption that God would ultimately bring to his people through Jesus who rescues us from our sin and its consequences through his life, death, and resurrection. All right, but this morning, we see that the redemption of Ruth didn't just point to the redemption that we have in Jesus. It actually led to the redemption that we have through Jesus. All right, it is because of what God did through Ruth and Naomi's suffering that we are able to be saved from our sin by placing our faith in Jesus and what he has done for us, uh, again, through his life, death, and resurrection. Right? And that brings us to our final point, which we're only able to see completely here in chapter 4, and that that is that God uses the sufferings of his people to bring about his ultimate purposes. Right? We, and we already know, because we've seen it several times before, that God is in control of all things, that he is at work in all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to bring about his perfect plan across the the span of human history. But Ruth is such a great illustration of that truth. From from the famine at the very beginning to the move to Moab, the the death of Elimelech and his sons, the infertility, the, the economic poverty and then all of the, the chance encounters through the story, all of the things that just so happen, we come to see that, that God is at work using all of the ups and downs, the twists and turns, to, to move the pieces of the puzzle into place. Right, because Ruth and Boaz got married, which would never have happened apart from the intense suffering in chapter 1, King David eventually led Israel into its golden age and ultimately God brought salvation into the world through his son. So the good news of Ruth chapter 4 is that God uses the suffering of his people to accomplish his purposes. Our suffering is never random and it is not meaningless, which makes a huge difference in how we experience and process it. But this raises the question, Then What what is God specifically doing with my difficulty? What could he possibly be doing when I'm I'm stuck in traffic and I'm already late for my appointment and I can already tell that the day is going bad? Or or when I'm struggling through a long-term illness? Or when I can barely afford to pay my bills? Or when I'm losing someone that I love? Well, beyond what we've already said, the truth is that we may simply never know in this life everything that God is accomplishing through our suffering. If you think about it, Naomi never realized everything that God did through her suffering. Even if she lived long enough to see David be born, she had no idea who he was going to become one day. And as we've seen, even the author of the story, if you zoom out farther and think about Jesus... Even the author who is making the case that God uses the suffering of his people still could not comprehend everything that God was doing through the very story he was writing. God uses the sufferings of his people to accomplish his purposes. Naomi had no idea that you and I would be in this room this morning talking about her story because of what God accomplished through the difficulties in her life. So because we know that God is sovereign, because we know that he loves us, which he has proven by sending Jesus, then no matter what we encounter in life, we can also know that God is in it and that he is up to something good. Now, I don't want to minimize our suffering, because knowing this doesn't necessarily take away from the the pain that we may be experiencing at a given moment in time, how how difficult and, and intense our pain can be, But a solid grasp and embrace of God's providential care of his people in all things will be an anchor for our souls that will keep us afloat through all of the storms of this life. Ruth shows us that God often does his best work through the most difficult circumstances. So my prayer as we finish this series is that we will face the trials and suffering that we encounter in this life inevitably, with a faith that believes that God is in control, a faith that that trusts that he is using what we're going through, both for his glory and for our ultimate good. If I remember correctly, Brother Bob used to say a benediction at the end of our services from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And this morning, I can't think of a more appropriate passage to connect it to than Ruth chapter 4. The Apostle Paul writes now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together.